This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on air, Carlson and their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky. Brian Com is not here today. Unfortunately, my usual co-host is busy celebrating his daughter's first birthday. Apparently, that's more important than podcasting. I don't know. I don't have a kid. I guess that's what being a dad is all about. Doesn't matter, because I've got a great ringer here and said, of course, happy birthday to Brian's daughter. I don't mean to. Okay, we've got a special one for you here today. We've got the associate editor at Dubrovsky. Hockey and a DFS writer at Osmo.com. You all know him as at Slim Cliffy on Twitter. It's Michael Clifford. Hello, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Uh, like, I'm excited to be here. You guys asked me uh, earlier this week, like, you know, <laughs> definitely tried to clear my schedule to come on because you guys, uh, you know, we had a great time at the draft when we did the draft show a little bit earlier. So just really looking forward to talking some hockey. Yeah, that was a really fun show, and you always have great takes on Twitter and your articles on Dauber Hockey, which, by the way, were proudly presented by Dauber Hockey, the best fantasy hockey website out there. You've got your daily ramblings every single day, keeping up to date with fantasy hockey, many of them written by Michael himself and all the tools that we use to prep the show, frozen tools, where you could get your starting goalies, line combinations, like everything you need to be successful in fantasy. And yeah, you know all about it, Michael, and everyone should definitely be checking out DauberHockey.com if they want to be successful in their leagues what is your experience like there like how do you come up i'm curious to know before we get into today's content like when you're coming up with the daily ramblings what's your process for deciding which players to write about well like normally you talk about whoever happens to be you know in the news at the time so if there's a suspension coming or if there's a big injury um or you know maybe there's something like a player getting demoted from the first line to the third line and maybe they shouldn't be or um, that that's kind of the process is like whatever people seem to be talking about that specific night because we do do it every like it's every I don't write every every single night you know for the morning but as a site we do so I just look to see who's being talked about that day so I'll take care of it but there's I also like to do some research stuff because um, I find a lot of people can get pretty results driven during the season like they they get really too focused oh this guy doesn't have any points in five games or this guy has you know four goals in his last two games and they take really really small samples um and try to extrapolate from that without doing any of the research and what i like i'd like to do the research i like to present the research because then at least it seems like my 
usually incorrect opinion is somewhat informed. So, uh, um, so that's kind of, it's, that's kind of the process. It's just whoever's popular that day. And then there's usually a research piece, some, some, something interesting that I like to try to find. Okay, perfect. Well, hey, you know, that just described our podcast. I think we're all trying to bring up some headlines for the week, and then we'll dig into some players here. And there are some very exciting headlines this week for us to get into, including some big changes around the league. And probably the biggest change of them all happened in Toronto. Out of nowhere, a new head coach, Mike Babcock, he's done. Sheldon Keefe is in. I guess a six-game losing streak will do that. And so far, Keefe's Leafs, they're two for two in wins over the Coyotes on Thursday and then over Colorado on Saturday. Things had been pretty boring. We have a Twitter account at Game Day Lines where we retweet line combinations whenever they're tweeted out by beat writers. And the Leafs uh, line combinations were always the same game in, game out. But then things got very excited over at Game Day Lines HQ when the new coach came in because, yeah, a couple of big changes were made. Number one, Kasperi Kapanen got bumped from his keeping the seat warm for Marner's spot on the Tavares Hyman line for Ilya Mikheyev. So now you've got Mikheyev playing with Tavares for the you know near future, at least until Marner comes back. And Mikheyev have responded with two assists, four shots versus the Coyotes, nothing versus Colorado, but three shots, two hits, two blocks, made him a decent play in multi-category leagues. And then the other big change was that Andreas Janssen was bumped from the top and second, I think, power play. So he just wasn't getting much power play time at all. And he was bumped for Tyson Barry. Keith decided to go with a classic three forward, two defenseman formation with Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, Riley, and Barry. Barry had already picked up assists in two straight games before the change, but he definitely responded well to this new opportunity. He scored versus Arizona. He picked up a power play goal and an assist versus Colorado. Even with five points in his last four games, Barry's still only at 10 points in 25 games on the season. So this is looking like the potential for a big turnaround. At this point, Michael, would you say it's fair to say that like Kapanen and Janssen, they're the biggest losers of this coaching change. Like forget about these guys if you had them on your teams. And then Mikheyev becomes an interesting, at least in the short term guy. And Barry is like the clear big winner. And I'd be curious to know, like, what are you expecting from Barry going forward? Do you think he can keep this deployment and get back to his Colorado level scoring ways? Uh, like... I think people need to be really cautious here about what Tyson Berry can actually bring because right now, like you said, they are running the three forward, um, two defenseman power play. Mitch Marner is going to be back in like two to three weeks. Uh, when Mitch Marner comes back, I cannot imagine they're going to punt Marner to the second power play unit or, you know, move Nylander to the second power play unit, especially if they're cruising. So, I think Tyson Berry's obviously going to be a big short-term gain, like for the next two or three weeks or until Marner's back. Like as long as he's on that top power play unit, then yeah, he's he's going to have a lot of short-term value. And and it's funny, <laughs> I actually wrote about Barry the day before Babcock got fired, and I was saying like to to go like to go buy low on him because there's he hadn't been playing up to his standards. But there's probably enough regression coming to where he could play to a 40-point per 82-game pace for the rest of the season. Now that Babcock's gone and Keith's there, and now that he's back on the top power play unit, you know, you tick that up. But I think this is a case where if I'm a Barry owner, I hold on to him for about a week, maybe 10 days or something like that, maybe two weeks. And then not too long before Marner is expected to come back, I would trade him. Because I, like, I just don't see how they're going to run... Unless they run two even power play units, and if that happens, that's still not very good for anybody's fantasy value. They could run two even units, but I think they're going to go back to that four forward uh, top unit, and that probably means Barry back to the second power play. So I would enjoy it for the next couple weeks. I don't know if it's, I doubt that's going to last for the rest of the season. I'm not expecting it. Now, for the forwards, 
like Kapanen wasn't really much this year anyway. You know what I mean? Like he, he had what, uh, like eight or 10 games at the start of the season on, on Tavares's wing and did nothing with it. Um, he's playing to, a, mm-hmm. he's playing to like a 40 point pace anyway. So like, I'm not sure like there's anything really lost or like gain like for Kapanen, it's just kind of blah for me. Um, Janssen is the one that Janssen is the one that's going to hurt. Uh, Janssen, like I wrote about him in the summer and he was a guy that I was telling everybody to draft as often as possible because he played the role of Nazem Kadri on the second power play unit last year. So it it stood to reason that with Kadri gone, Janssen would take over his role on the top power play unit. Now they did change things around a little bit, but he did get his, make his way to the top power play unit. Now that they have Barry there, now that they've changed everything around, it seems like they're not committed to the structure that was there before. So, like, I'm very worried about Janssen's fantasy value. Like, I still think he'll be a good player just because of where he's playing at 5-on-5. Five five. And I know, like, he wasn't shooting the lights out on the power play, but it's still potential fantasy value lost. And you're not going to be able to trade him now because nobody's going to want to trade for the guy that's on the second power play unit. So, I think Janssen owners are just kind of stuck maybe as a bottom-of-the-lineup option. There's just nothing you can do right now. Like if, if you sell them now, you're selling them too low. I would probably wait and maybe and see what they do with the power play units. Um, if they do run two even units, then he would recoup some of his value back. You know, once Martin returns. So I think you know if I'm a Barry owner, I wait a couple weeks and then trade. If I'm a Janssen owner, I just hold. If I'm a Kapanen owner, I'm probably at the bottom of my league. Yeah, that's funny. Okay. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Like, I guess you make a good point about Tyson Barry, and I didn't really consider that when Marner comes back, maybe he bumps Barry from the power play. I was kind of thinking, st- I'm still in the Babcock mindset, right? Where they, you know, like Nylander wasn't on the top power play for like most of last season and the beginning of this season also. It only took injury for him to get on there. So I was just kind of thinking, okay, Marner comes back, he bumps Nylander, but maybe they still stick with three forwards and two defensive. But you're right, anything could happen. Maybe, you know, Mikhaev holds his spot with Tavares. Maybe Marner bumps bumps Janssen and all of a sudden Andreas Janssen isn't even the top six so it seems like we have a whole new structure happening in Toronto and there's no way to know what's going to happen when Marner comes back because Keefe is going to do things the Keefe way and you know I'm going to go further than you like Andreas Janssen even with that good deployment he's at 12 points in 25 games on the season you could probably unless it's like a super deep league you could probably drop him at this point I think I'd be okay with it Toronto doesn't have an exciting schedule next week they play only three times well a lot of teams are playing four times next week so obviously it depends on your league but yeah I'd be very nervous about him and then any thoughts on Ilya Mikheyev for a stream in the short term while he's playing with Tavares seems like it's going well for him so far yeah like he was a guy I wanted to see alongside Tavares like right out of the gate like instead of like not instead of captain I want captaining to chance but after it wasn't working for the first couple games Mikheyev was the guy that I wanted to see there because he was a guy like he see it seemed like his skill set I don't want to say it's similar to Hyman's because I think Mikheyev has more offensive upside but it seemed like he could at least fill the Hyman role better than others than you know Kapanen or you know Trevor Moore or anybody else could so I don't know if Mikheyev's really gonna have a lot of value long term because he like he's not going to be a focus of the power play um and like you said once Marner comes back he's going to be gone so I don't mind using him in the short term you know certainly for the next week or so um I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't be looking any to use him anywhere beyond Christmas because he unless he takes the Zach Hyman role once Marner gets back, but I just I don't think he does. It just seems like you know he's going to be kind of glued to the third line with Alex Kerfoot. 
Okay, yeah, makes sense. So yeah, lots of interesting things to follow in Toronto. And I'm sure every podcast out there has been talking about the Leafs, so we can move on from them. But yeah, right now, I really do like your suggestion about trying to sell high on Tyson Barry after he goes on a little bit of a run just in case he gets bumped off the top power play. That's a really smart suggestion. Sorry, just to cut in, I think what a re- what a realistic option here for Toronto is, is to do something like Dallas did, or Dallas is doing, right? Like with Klingberg back, they basically have two even power play units. And I'm wondering if you don't see Toronto try that uh, once Marner's back. Is you know maybe have the top maybe have the top unit like Tavares, Marner, Janssen, Moore, and then Barry, and then the second one with Matthews, Nylander, Riley. Like you know something like Dallas is doing um, with the two even units. I wonder if Toronto does that. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> you know, if I had a crystal ball, I'd use it. I would probably. Yeah, I'd still be looking to sell on Tyson Barry probably in a week or two. Yeah, I guess, I don't know, to me, but what do I know? Maybe you'll have, like, numbers on this or something. But I, when I think of, like, the best power plays in the league, I think of, like, you know, Washington and they just stack it up or, like, Pittsburgh back in the day. like it just Or, like, San Jose last year. Like, you know, like I just feel like the teams that score a lot of power play goals have, like, one awesome unit and you're almost, like, watering it down by splitting it into two. I know. I, I agree with you 100%. And, like, it's something I went on an absolute tirade on one of my Dauber ramblings last year. I think it was Detroit was putting Larkin and Mantha and Athanasiu and someone else. It was like four forwards. They're splitting them two on one unit and two on the other. And I was like, you guys have only have four good forwards. Why are you spreading them across two units? Now, Toronto obviously has a little bit more offensive depth than Detroit did last year. But it's it's kind of the same thing. I'm with you. The best power plays are often the ones that stack the top unit. But that doesn't necessarily mean Toronto is going to actually do that right and i guess we'll see over these next few weeks how it's going before marner comes back and then they'll make some decisions okay so another big change in the nhl came in new jersey john hines he kept his job he's not fired but Corey schneider he wasn't able to avoid getting cut he got sent down to bennington of the ahl after putting up a sad zero wins and an 852 save percentage in six games on the season i wonder if maybe we're done with seeing Corey schneider in the nhl which would be a really sad way to see him go he still has three years left on a seven-year 42 million dollar contract which isn't like even that much per year for a goalie at this point but for a goalie in the ahl that just wasn't able to cut it this year uh not great for the devils uh though you know his loss uh the gain of potentially uh recently acquired louis demang who got called up in his stead we all remember demang last year had that great record with tampa no one gave him any credit because everyone would have won games on tampa last year and you know he didn't even have the best save percentage but it didn't matter which is again one of the reasons why brian and i were a little surprised that they were willing to spend so much money on andre vasilevsky when literally louis demang could put up the same winning percentage. But anyways, conversation for another time. At the time that Schneider got sent down, a lot of people were saying that the net clearly now belongs to Mackenzie Blackwood because, yo, now he's going to run with it as the starter. But he's put up two straight stinkers this week. He led in five goals versus Boston Tuesday, four against Pittsburgh on Friday. Then Demang got the second half of the back-to-back versus uh, Detroit on Saturday, and he put up a stellar performance in the 5-1 win. He stopped 19 of 20 shots. Of course, this is a bit easier competition playing against Detroit and only uh, facing 20 shots, but still a good game is a good game. What's your take now, Michael, on the New Jersey goaltending situation is Blackwood like the clear starter at this point because you know he's Mackenzie Blackwood and I don't but even just saying that it's like who's Mackenzie Blackwood like going into this (laughs) season yeah so it seems to me like Demang should be someone who we should consider as someone having just as equal an opportunity whoever plays better is going to be the starter maybe they go 50 50 yeah that I think that right there is the big point out all this like this is a team that made moves in the offseason to get to the playoffs this year like this rebuild 
it's still kind of ongoing, but the rebuild is done. Like, the time to start winning hockey games is now. Like, they might not have Taylor Hall back. It's kind of looking like he's going to be gone, and that he's easily their best offensive weapon. I mean, the guy won the MVP uh, a couple years ago, so they know that this is probably their last season with Taylor Hall. Um, they only have two more seasons of, of P.K. Subban after this. They're in, you know, they went and acquired Gusev. They went and signed Wayne Simmons for to a one-year deal. Like, this is a team that got all the stops to get to the playoffs this year. Like, it doesn't, if it's Mackenzie Blackwood, if it's Louis Domingue, if it's somebody else they bring in, whoever can put together two consecutive starts is going to be, good starts is going to be starting the third one. Now, whether that's Blackwood, whether it's Deming, whether it's somebody else that they go get, maybe it's Schneider. You know, maybe, look what Schneider did last year after his stint in the AHL. He came up and he was lights out for like 20 games. So, oh, good point. You know, maybe it's Corey Schneider. I just, there's no telling who's going to get, which goalie's going to get hot. I think, you know, if I were to say which goalie has the inside track, I think it's Blackwood um, just because he's the guy in their system. And Deming's kind of like the guy that they just sort of brought in, right? So, I would say Blackwood has the edge, but if Deming um, has a couple more games like he did on Saturday, like he's going to be starting games pretty regularly. So if Deming's on the waiver wire and you absolutely need goaltending, you're you're in a tough spot, but I would take the chance. Yeah, I'm with you. I also feel like, yeah, there's two situations, right? If you're in a league where like goalies are so hard to find and Deming is out there, then sure, grab him. If you're in a league where there are some goalies in free agency, you know, like some backups, uh, you know, available sometimes. Like I actually just picked up Antti Ranta this past week in the Cuffle, the Keeping Cards Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League, a super competitive league. But, you know, because Ranta doesn't play all so often because Kemper's doing so well, he was out there. You know, in a league like that, I don't know if you even want to hold on to Mackenzie Blackwood because I don't think he's like a sure starter that's going to get you like huge volume. And also, he doesn't seem to be like that great. Or maybe it's just playing on this New Jersey team doesn't allow you to be that great. But yeah, I th- I'm, I'm with you. I think it's it's kind of like a coin flip, and it could definitely go either way. And I think Mackenzie Blackwood's going to have to show that he has something if he's going to want to keep getting starts. Yeah, and I mean, don't forget, like, we're talking about potentially a lottery team here, right? It's not like we're arguing about who's, you know, which goalie to get from the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Boston Bruins or the Vegas Golden Knights. Like, we're talking about a team that could easily finish in the bottom five of the NHL. That's how bad they've looked all year. So, this isn't uh, a full, full out endorsement saying run to the waiver wire, drop a goalie for Deming or drop a goalie for Blackwood or something like that. This is you have to be like absolutely bottom of the barrel desperate um, yeah. to go after one of these goalies. So <laughs> which is where a lot of people are. <laughs> And it, it's funny because going into the season, a lot of people were so high on New Jersey and a lot of people thought that Corey Schneider was going to be this huge, like, value pick late in drafts, a goalie that was doing well at the end of last year, like you said. And then New Jersey, like, picked up Gusev. And, you know, it just looked like they were going to potentially be a good team. They got Jack Hughes. And now, yeah, it doesn't seem to be going that well. But there have been other changes on the team. Like, just last week, Brian and I talked about how Kyle Palmieri was bumped off the top line. And I really need to start getting really careful when I talk about these line changes because things change so quickly sometimes. Palmieri's back on the top line, top power play. He's doing fine. He's on a nice run. Now he has points in two straight games. So if anyone panic dropped Kyle Palmieri, I would definitely be telling people to get on board there. Though another interesting change, which again, who knows if this will even last through to Tuesday, but yesterday featured a new uh, player on the New Jersey top power play in Nikita Gusev, who joined Hall, Hishir, Palmieri, and the recently outjured Sammy Vatnin, who also had an assist yesterday. So uh, go and get Vatnin, who is once again back on the top power play. Uh, but yeah, 
Gusev, no points yesterday, but he has six, four, four, and three shots in each of his last four games. So three plus shots, two points in that span. And I think even more interestingly, uh, over 15 minutes of ice time in each of his last four games, which is a nice change from the less than 10 minutes he was getting a couple weeks ago. So just last week, I asked Brian about Gusev, but now I'm finding him even more interesting now that he's, you know, creeping, you know, getting that ice time, you know, getting on the top power play now. To me, he seems like a guy who's worth a speculative ad. Like this guy led the KHL in scoring. And I know I might be repeating myself because I literally just talked about him last week, but I didn't expect this top power play thing to happen. So I just wanted to bring him up one more time. What are your thoughts on Gusev at this point? Is there still hope that he can, you know, be the great offensive player that we thought that New Jersey was getting at the start of the year? Like, I, I don't know if he's going to be like, I, some people were really high on him. Like, I think some people like were expecting 70 points out of him. Um, I thought he'd be a lot better um, than he has. It seems he's entirely one dimensional. And the fact that that dimension is shooting, uh, like, it's not a bad thing, you know, especially for fantasy hockey. Um, we like guys that shoot. Yeah, as long as they get the minutes. Yeah, that's the other problem is that, but that's the problem on this team is if he's not doing anything else but shooting and the puck isn't going in, like, John's is, or John Hines isn't, isn't a dummy. Like, he knows. Um, that if Gusev isn't scoring, then he's actively hurting the team. So that's why, like, I agree with you that I do like Gusev on the top power play unit, and he's a guy I would be adding in the short term right now. But he's also a guy, the first sign of trouble, I'd have no problem cutting bait with because right. I, I don't think there's a long enough lead. He's not good enough offensively to justify all the other things he doesn't do well. And John, I think John Hines knows this, and that's why you've seen his ice time fluctuate so much. So when he's run, running well or when he's getting opportunity like he is right now, then by all means use him. Um, but I think he's a guy that if you're playing the, you know, if he's at the bottom of your bench, at the bottom of your lineup, I could see like picking him up like seven or eight times throughout the year um, just for specific matchups or depending on where he's slotted because um, he's he's a guy that I don't think he can rely on 16 minutes a night every night um, from here on out. So speculative ad, sure. Uh, long-term fix, I doubt it. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I'm kind of seeing right now as maybe a turning point where I feel like we're going to learn pretty soon whether he is, like what you say, someone who maybe you'll want to stream in and out every once in a while or someone that might actually get rolling here. Like, I I don't know. I'm just, like, very excited about the increase in minutes and maybe he is starting to learn whatever he needs to to improve that defensive game so that the coach can trust him enough. You know, obviously it was a big adjustment for him, but f- fair enough. Like, let's see how this week goes. By the way, I, I will just say that if there's a week to grab Gusev, it is this week because the NHL has a weird schedule because of Thanksgiving coming and so like monday wednesday and thursday and saturday are all stacked and new jersey plays tuesday and thursday so there's a lot of players that you might have on your fantasy teams that are gonna be on your bench for monday wednesday especially but you're gonna have lots of room for tuesday thursday so if you have a situation like that where there's a player that you're gonna have benched that you could drop and pick up gusev i don't know give him a try i'm probably wrong but just i just wanted to throw it out there well, I mean, like you said, the schedule works out well enough for them this week that this is the time for the speculative ad, right? Like, there's no, the options are so limited on those off days that you may as well take that chance. And if it doesn't work out, you probably weren't going to get anything anyway, and you can just cut bait at the end of the week. 
Okay, we are on the same page. Let's go to another change. That's the theme of the episode. The lines are changing, the rosters are changing, and we got a big change over on another Atlantic team in Philadelphia where they called up the 2017-27th overall pick Morgan Frost from Lee Valley. They put him right on the top line and top power play with Giroux and Konechny and then JVR and Provorov on the power play. And how did Morgan Frost respond? Boom, goal versus Florida on Tuesday. Boom, goal versus Caroline on Thursday as well as an assist. Then nothing yesterday but three shots on goal, bringing him to nine shots in three games overall. So, Michael, I got to ask, are you feeling frosty at this point? Do you think he can <laughs> hold this deployment for a bit, earn the surge in fantasy, you know, percentage owned that he's been seeing lately? Or do you think by the next time I talk to Brian in a week, we'll be talking about line one Voracek or Lindblom or Faraby or Couturier, one of the many myriad of guys who've gotten a shot with Giroux during the season? Like, is this something that could stick? Or is this just like, you know, maybe grab me if you can for now, but don't expect it to last? Okay, so just talking about Frosties makes me want to do a late night Wendy's run. And I might end (laughs) up doing that. Um, Are you a vanilla or chocolate guy when you get your Frosties? uh, Oh, I'm a chocolate guy. Okay, I kind of like the mix. Did you know that that was an option? I did not know that was an option, but I'm, I might have to go see if they do if they'll make that for me here tonight. Yeah. Not a paid sponsor, by the way. But okay, so after you get back from Wendy's, what are you doing <laughs> with Morgan Frost? Okay, I don't think Morgan Frost is called up with the intention that he's going back down, and I don't think Morgan Frost is called up with the intention of him playing the Nolan Patrick role, stuck on the third and fourth line. I think Morgan Frost is called up because. Claude Giroux, like I wrote about this in Dauber a couple weeks ago, and it was that I was surprised they were giving Claude Giroux some more run as a center. Um, he had played a lot with Couturier the last couple of years. It seemed like he was done playing a center. This year, they moved him back to center for a handful of games, and it honestly it hadn't gone well. Um, if you look at just about any numbers that you want, uh, whether they be on the power play or even strength, they, it just wasn't going well. And I think Alain Vigneault and the Flyers kind of recognize that. Now, they know they have a great second-line duo um, in Couturier and Lindblom. Um, they know they have Kevin Hayes, um, who's really, uh, like, he's a good second-line center who can probably slot as a third-line center, you know, very easily and do extremely well in that role. So it's the case of taking care of the top-line center, and now that's Morgan Frost. Now, if we can argue semantics about who's the actual top line center Couturier, whatever. I'm just, just for the sake of argument, I'm just saying, um, yeah, that's right fine. Now, yeah. I'm just saying right now, the top line is Morgan Frost. He's called up so that they can run Frost, Couturier, um, and Hayes down the middle. That's why he's there. He's not there to play on the wing. He's not there to play on the fourth line. He's there so that they can run three centers down the middle, have Sean Couturier and Oscar Lindblom take all the tough matchups at home. Like, you'll see those two hard-matched against all the good top lines from the opposition. And then that'll free up Frost and Giroux. Um, and then wh- whomever uh, Kevin Hayes is playing with, it'll free up those two lines to do some damage against the depths. So oh, I think that's their plan right now. Um, so that's why I'm kind of higher on Morgan Frost than I, I would necessarily... Honestly, if they called up Morgan Frost and had him playing on the third line with whomever down there, Twarinski or whatever... I, like I, I'd say that his time's probably numbered, but the fact that they put him straight to the top line, straight to the power play unit, like it gives us a really good indication of how they want to use him moving forward. And he's like in his very, you know, what is it? Two games, three games. He's given us no reason um, to believe that 
he doesn't belong there. So I think they called him up with the intention that he's going to stay there. Couturier is going to get the defensive matchups, and Frost and Giroux are going to try to do their thing at 5-on-5 five five, um, against the depth. So, yeah, I do think Frost is up there, and I think he's there to stay. Yeah, and if he is there, that's a guy you want on your fantasy team, right? Because also power play, right? If he's also going to be on the top power play with Giroux and also playing with him at even strength and with Konechny, who's having a crazy season, which uh, Brian and I, I think, disagreed about earlier on in the year. I was saying I thought Konechny could keep it up so far. I'm looking right, but it's okay. Brian's not here to defend himself. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's very interesting. Like maybe you don't want to go and drop or trade like a big name for Morgan Frost because still like, you know, you might be wrong or things might shift around, but I feel like you got to get this guy if you can while he's on that line and it's very heartening to hear that you think that it's possible he'll st- stay there. Like, you know, my research often comes down to like just watching Twitter during games. And, like I saw one tweet at one point from some beat writer being like, oh, that was a tough shift for Morgan Frost. And I was like, oh, there it is. He's <laughs> but, like, but, you know, I guess that's going to happen when you're a rookie. So and he, his numbers last year were so crazy in the OHL. So like you definitely have an offensive pedigree here. And yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do. I got him in one league. But he was, yeah. he was snapped up in all my other ones. Like, the one thing I would say, like, he does have that power play slotting. But I, one thing I will say is that the, the even if he gets those min- minutes, the Philadelphia power play looks just terrible. Like, it's looked bad all year. And I was looking at some of their numbers in the heat maps. Like, if you look at their shot, their shot heat map on the power play this year, like, you know, when you see uh, those aerial views of, of towns and villages where there's a power outage and you have a bunch of lights around. And then in the middle, it's just pure darkness. Like, that's the shot map for the Flyers on the power play. There's just absolutely nothing being generated in the middle of the ice. And it's not to say that you absolutely have to generate a lot through the middle of the ice. But obviously, um, that's one of the prime scoring areas. And even where they are generating a lot of their shots, it's like three or four feet back behind the tops of the circles. Like, way, way, way far away. So, yes, he does have that top power play slotting. But not all top power play slotting is created equal. And Philly's got to change something because they're not generating shots from dangerous areas. And that's why they don't look very good. That's right. Well, if Brian was here, I know that he would say, well, that's because they don't have Shane Gossespierre back on the top power play because he, he's still a truth. Which, by the way, Gossespierre scratched on Saturday. So this guy's fallen super hard. He's a clear drop in all formats, right? Like, forget about Gossespierre. Or do you still have some faith? Um, I like, I have him in two leagues. I have him on, like, I have him on the bench in both leagues, um, where, where I can afford to bench him. Like if I'm, if I'm running six defensemen and I have to start five, like I'm probably getting rid of him. Yeah. Like I was high on, and I was high on him going into this year. I think on fantasy pros, I had him the highest rank out of anybody. Uh, just because I thought the power play would rebound. I thought his, you know, his ADP was too low, et cetera, et cetera. But man, it looks bad. Oh man, it looks bad. So yeah, I would say he's droppable for sure. Yeah. Though I guess on the, if I were to make the counterpoint, uh, just a few weeks ago, Eric Gustafson got healthy scratched in Chicago and then he came back, but he wasn't on the top power play anymore. Duncan Keith was there, but this past week, Gustafson's got back on the top power play. So who knows how long that'll last. And we've seen Gosses Behar get bumped and then get another shot before getting bumped again. So yeah, it's not a guarantee, but right now, yeah, it's, he'd be a very tough hold at this point. I think most people listening are like, dude, this isn't October anymore. Like I already dropped him a long time ago. Why are you even talking about this? But obviously, like you say, if you could afford to hold him on your bench, maybe that, like obviously there's got 
to be some upside for someone who had 70 points just a couple years ago. Uh, some other though players on Philly who might be tougher drops and maybe worth considering, maybe like Voracek and James Van Riemsdyk. Like, we expected great seasons from these guys coming into the year. Both have been duds lately. Like, JVR is pointless in seven games now. He's been playing, I think, on the fourth line I saw, so top power play, but like you said, the top power play is not even worth that much in Philly. And then, yeah, just like terrible deployment at even strength. And then Voracek, yeah, he scored yesterday. That was his first in five games, and he had two shots in Saturday's game. That was his highest number of shots in seven. Like, he's been doing ones or zeros and shots on goal forever. And like, yeah, he's not like the biggest shooter, but he's always been comfortably 200 plus year in, year out. So I don't know what's going on with him. JVR, like, are these two guys, obviously in deeper leagues where you're still holding Gosses Beher, I assume you're also holding Voracek and JVR. But if you're in a shallower league, is it time to consider giving up on these guys? Like, JVR is a little bit tougher because for what I said about the power play, and it's true, they're not generating anything um, in the slot. There's, they actually are generating a fair amount of shots right around the crease, and it's exactly where JVR plays on the power play. Like, he's just been a little bit snake bit, I think, on the power play, and I think, I think he can rebound on the power play without the Philadelphia power play as a whole rebounding. You know what I mean? Like, I think he can improve over the final 55 games or whatever without the entire unit itself improving. So right. So that's why I think JVR can bounce back on the power play. But if he's playing on the fourth line, it doesn't matter. Like, if he's playing on the fourth line, there's no. I'd rather roster Patrick Maroon. Like, I'm serious about that because he, <laughs> because he can bring so much more across the, across the table. And Patrick Maroon is another guy who's playing uh, fourth line and sometimes top power, top unit power play minutes. So, like, if he's on the fourth line, I have no interest outside of deep leagues. Now, for Voracek, you bring up the shooting, and the shooting is important because this is, I believe, his fourth straight year um, of declining shot rates. So, I think we're kind of seeing him train. Like, he was never a monster goal scorer. He was a guy that could re- reliably put up, you know, 20 to 25 goals. I think he had, like, three straight seasons of 20 goals or something like that. Um, I'm not sure that with this shot volume that he's showing – and the shot volume decline that he's shown for f- three or four years now, like I'm not sure even 20 is something that we can really rely on him for anymore. Like if if he can, I think his his absolute upside now is kind of like those old Ryan Getzlaff seasons where Getzlaff would put up like 15 goals and 50 assists with 150 shots on goal or something like that. I think that's about where uh, Voracek is at this point. And it's not to say that isn't valuable in fantasy. It would be depending on the power play. Between the two of them, I think Voracek has more raw points upside um, than JVR does the rest of the season. Okay, yeah, that's fair, but both a little bit concerning. And yeah, like the thing with Getzlaff, back when he was getting all those assists, that's because he was passing it to Corey Perry, who was finishing. Uh, and yeah, if Giroux is separated from Voracek, like I think Voracek was playing on the Couturier and Lindblom line in the last game, which you say is maybe more of a shutdown line. Like definitely not nothing. These guys are all good at generating some offense, but if Voracek's not the trigger man on that line that I just don't know what his upside really is at this point and this is a guy who we thought could potentially get back like 70 plus points this year after a bit of a down year last year definitely not looking like it now uh, though okay we are into Morgan Frost for now because of his good deployment and if you have never gone to see Morgan Frost play this is you know you're gonna run out of time soon to see Morgan Frost in his rookie season I guess you have a long time to see him maybe it's more like Jacob Voracek as someone who you, you're running out of time to see if he keeps declining people thought they had time to go see Corey Schneider they might be already 
already out of time for that. All of this to say, what better time than now than to go check out an NHL game live, which if that's okay with you, Michael, I'm just going to quickly thank a sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. The thing with SeatGeek is it's like a ticketing site where you can buy tickets to sporting events or concerts or comedy or any live music, all that stuff. But unlike the other ticketing sites, this one, it's they actually care, right? They actually give you a good experience. These other ticketing sites, oftentimes you feel like they're making it difficult on purpose. They have weird fees that are popping up all the time. Doesn't seem like they they care about the customer experience. The, the, sometimes the site's annoying. It's hard to find the events you want. But SeatGeek has shown that there's another way. Like I said, they've got millions of live event tickets like sports, live music, comedy. They also have a price match guarantee. So if you see the price better somewhere else, just tell SeatGeek. They'll match it. How can you beat that? Plus, they don't have like hidden fees. Like the price you see is the price you're going to pay. Plus, I really like just bringing up the app. I pick a city. If I'm going somewhere, I could just look and see what's going on in that city. And then, you know, pick my event that I want to go to. Then I can even sort the tickets by value if I don't want to sort by price. See, like, what's a good deal? It's a great site. Check it out. It's SeatGeek. I like to play a game with Brian every week where I pick a random city and then I get him to try to guess which is going to be the more expensive event. So, Michael, you're over in Fredericton, New Brunswick. And when I search for Fredericton on SeatGeek, they just showed me a bunch of events in Moncton. Uh, How far of a drive would that be for you? Uh, It's about a 90-minute drive, 70 minutes if you're not doing the speed limit. All right. So, okay. Not too far. Definitely worth it if you're going to go see potentially like the Jersey Boys musical over in Moncton at the Avenir Center. Or hey, you could go see Michael Buble. I'm sure these are both events that you'd be very excited to go see. If you had to guess what's more expensive on SeatGeek between seeing Jersey Boys or Michael Buble, what, what do you think it is? I'll, I'll say Jersey Boys because I think Buble is going to be at the casino and that'd be a little bit cheaper. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You're incorrect. 124 for Buble, 74 for Jersey Boys. What a steal of a, a <laughs> former Broadway musical. Maybe current Jersey Boys. You, Big girls don't cry. All those classic songs. You could go see them for 74. But if you think 74 is too much, then SeatGeek will even give you a better deal because you're a listener of Keeping Carlson because SeatGeek will give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase if you use the offer code KEEPING. So again, you just have to download the SeatGeek app today. Use the promo code KEEPING. For $10 off your first purchase, that's promo code KEEPING for $10 off your first purchase. Okay, that was a lot of fun. Let's get back to the NHL. More changes around the league. This isn't as much a change in a team's roster or line combinations. It's just more of a change in the state of the world. And specifically, like what's happened to the Calgary Flames and all of their players that were such fantasy studs last year and now have changed into really tricky guys to be holding. Like yesterday's 3-2 shootout win over Philly broke a six-game losing streak in which they scored a total of five goals. They had six games where they scored five goals over that stretch. So add their two goals on Saturday. You've got seven goals in their last seven games. That's it. Ouch! And this has led to all of our favorites going ice cold. Like, Goudreau had an assist yesterday. That was his first after going pointless in four games. He now has 19 points in 26 games on the year for a 60-point pace, down from 99 last year. So he's well off, like, almost 40 points off his pace at this point. Sean Monaghan, even worse, like, he had a one assist in his last five games, 18 points in 26 games, 57-point pace after he had 82 last year. Elias Lindholm, he scored on Saturday after going pointless for six himself. Uh, 18 points just like Monaghan for a 57-point pace, down from his 78 points last year. And maybe more concerning for Lindholm is he was bumped from the top power play for Milan Lucic on Saturday. Like You know you're not producing if Milan Lucic is taking your spot. Uh, I could keep going. Uh, Matthew Kachuk, he's pointless in five. Mark Giordano, pointless in six games. He 
has now 13 points in 26 games. It's a 41-point pace, down from 74 last year. I know I've thrown, like, so many names at you, but just in general, like, what do you make of this current colossal Calgary slump? Like, do any of these players in particular concern you more than others as being unlikely to get back to producing like they did last year? And then on the flip side, do you see any as especially tasty-looking buy-low candidates that you know their owners are frustrated and you could get them on a good deal and you think they will bounce back? Like, if I was to pick one for a rebound, it's probably Matt Kachuk. And the reason I say that is because even if he doesn't rebound, he brings enough in other categories that he'll bring something to your team. Like, if you buy low on Johnny Godro and he doesn't turn things around, he doesn't put up hits or, um, you know, massive amounts of penalty minutes or whatever to make up for the lost production. At least you can get that from Matt Kachuk. But just in general... The thing about the Flames is they have a hard time getting to the scoring areas. And it's not something that's uncommon for Bill Peters' teams. I was actually – I was on HockeyViz.com uh, earlier today. Um, and I was just looking – like, oh, it's a great website. I, like, I just always just love poking around there. Just so much stuff – like, you, so much stuff you can look up. I, anyways – if you look at the the shot map for Bill Peters' teams in Carolina, uh, you know, 2015, 16, 17, whatever, they generated a ton of shots from either the points or along the boards. So it seemed like what they were trying to do is look for deflections, look for tips, look for rebounds, you know, that type of thing. And if you look at Calgary this year under Bill Peters, it's the exact same thing. In fact, <laughs> they're shooting more from the left blue line than they are anywhere else on the ice. If you're wondering why this team isn't scoring very much. So when you see a coach with a track record of this exact problem and think back of the Carolina teams from three or four years ago, they could generate shots, but they couldn't score. Right. And this is kind of the same thing here in Calgary is they're generating shots, but they're not scoring. And that's because they're not getting to the areas where you need to score. So while I agree that the shooting percentages for a lot of the guys will rebound, I just I don't know how much they're going to rebound because it's not like this is a complete fluke or it's complete complete unluckiness or something like that. They're actively playing a system that suppresses shooting percentage by the nature of the shots that they take. So like I'm not surprised that they that you know I am surprised they're shooting like four percent or five percent or whatever. But I'm not surprised that they're underperforming. And it's also kind of, it's a correction from last year. If I'm not mistaken, they had five forward or they had 10 forwards with over 900 minutes of five on five and half of them shot at least 12%. Uh, to put in perspective how ridiculous it is, like 20% of NHLers, regular NHLers in a season will shoot over 12% of five on five and like half the Flames forwards did it last year. So I kind of see this as a correction from 2018-19. And yeah, like I said, I think, I think that top six is going to rebound and they're going to be better over the final, you know, four months of the season. Uh, this is a system designed for low percentage shots. And we're seeing the results of that system in, you know, in play. And it's just destroying fantasy teams left and right. Yeah. Okay. So kind of concerning, right? Like, so I see what you're saying. Like, obviously these guys were like pointless in five, pointless in six games. They're not going to go pointless for the rest of the season. But, you know, Mark Giordano, for example, needs to 
like he would need to have a huge bounce back to come anywhere close to what he did last year. Like right now, I have him on one of my teams. I would love for him to get back to being like a 55, 60 point guy, which would still be far below. So like you're saying, yeah, you expect a bit of a bounce back in some of these percentages. But if they're taking these low percentage shots and if you're saying they overperformed last year, I don't know. So if you're a Flames fan, maybe you're saying don't try to buy low unless maybe you're going for someone like Kachuk, who you know has a floor because of peripherals. Okay, interesting. I wonder what Brian would have said. So maybe I'll have to ask him again next week or maybe he can answer on a patron show or something or in the Facebook group. I'll have to ask him after when he's done with his birthday festivities and see if he also agrees that maybe these guys aren't going to bounce back as much as maybe some people are hoping for, especially the people who drafted, you know, a Monaghan or a Goudreau, like super high, expecting point per game guys. I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> like I, they both had career years last yeah, year. Yeah, I and I think like 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 I said, Kachuk would be a guy I'd buy low on. But the thing is, is like if you go and try to trade for Kachuk or trade for Gojo, the guy that's going to be giving them away is probably going to want to try to recoup somewhere close to the draft value. And I'm not sure I'd pay close to the draft value for any of these guys at mm-hmm. this moment. So, like, you really have to be careful how much you're going to have to pay. Like, if if I'm looking to go get Johnny Gojo and the guy asks for Philip Forsberg, like, I just slam my computer shut. You know what I mean? So, really, yeah. Like, no, not not a question in my mind. And I'll bet you if you look at uh, draft ranks or whatever draft results from the start of the year, I'll bet you Goudreau was drafted above Forsberg by a decent amount in almost every single league. So how quickly things changed. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, like, I, I I think it's just the nature of, the, like, Nash, I think Nashville is getting some bad goaltending and it's just, it's just, that's kind of hiding how good they are. But, you know, that's just kind of a different tangent. I just, I, I don't expect a massive rebound from the Calgary Flames, guys. Like, I do expect a rebound. Just not one that'll get them anywhere as close to what they were, what they were last year. Okay. Okay. Well, very interesting take. Thanks for sharing that. And yeah, sorry to burst any bubbles of the people holding these Flames players. Yeah, I have I have a lot of Lindholm takes. Like I'm sinking here, man. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I just got my Giordano. I just wish he could bounce back, and I guess that's not going to happen. But oh well. Okay. And so while well, Lucic, I, we don't even want to talk about, but he's a surprising name on the top power play in Calgary. But don't go grab him. I guess if you need hits, everyone knows what Lucic is good for. Maybe you'll get one power play point in a week if you're lucky. Now that he's there, if he even lasts there, so he's an interesting guy that jumped on a top power play like i said before a change back to normalcy was eric gustafson getting back on the top power play in chicago at least temporarily he's taken that spot back from duncan keith nothing for the hawks power play yesterday on saturday which also saw jonathan taves back on that unit when he had been pulled off for a couple of games but gustafson seems to be getting back on track to some extent he has three goals in his last six games which broke a long 11 game pointless streak last year here's a guy just like giordano like just had an amazing season 60 points for gustafson last do you think he holds the spot moving forward or will Chicago keep shuffling and if he was dropped in your fantasy league when he was bumped off the top power plate even healthy scratch for that one game just like Gosses Beher uh, is now a time where you'd be looking to re-add Eric Gustafsson or do you think that he's going to continue to struggle moving forward yeah it's funny that you mentioned Ghost because that's the thing that I put in my notes is like is he the new Gosses Beher <laughs> like just that one miraculous season and then and then to the waste bin is dustbin of history this has nothing to do with related with anything. I just couldn't believe it when I looked it up. Z- zero assists for Gustafson in five weeks. I like yeah. I could I couldn't believe that when I saw it. Like I knew uh, it had been a rough rough run, but zero assists in five weeks that's bad. I do think he can take over and keep the top power play role for Keith. And I think the reason the reason for that is that they want to save. Keith's legs as much as possible. Like they even in an offensive situation they want to. They don't want to have to play him like all the minutes that they do sometimes. You know what I mean? Like I think they'd rather rely 
on more minutes from Olimata or more minutes from Eric Gustafson or, you know, even I think even Connor Murphy's kind of having a decent season. Um, yeah, Calvin DeHaan is getting a decent amount of time. Yeah, exactly. So I think what the what they want is to try to keep Keith as fresh as they possibly can. Um, that's why I think even if the power play scuffles a little bit, that Gustafson is going to have a pretty firm grasp on that role. And like his issues look to be more defensively oriented than offensively. So I'm not overly concerned about him sticking on the power play. It's just, will, will Colleton trust him enough to play him 20, 21, 22, maybe minutes a night um, and keep him there at that level? I, I hope so. I just don't know. Five on five, I'm less certain of how big of a role he's going to have than on the power play. I feel more certain that he's going to maintain his role um, on the top power play unit. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because like it's just a year ago that he was such an offensive force. So it's weird how things changed so quickly. But I guess here we are. But potentially now, if you're saying that you think at least he can hold the top power play and who knows what happens at even strength, if he's in free agency or maybe on someone's team and they're not too interested in him, maybe now's a really good buy low time. Obviously, don't pay a lot. But this is a guy like there's not too many defensemen in the league who've gotten around 60 points in a season before. And Gustafsson is one of them. And unlike Shane Gosses Beher, you know, his healthy scratch is already a long time ago. And, and now he's getting the deployment again Gosses Beher is the one that I'm a lot more concerned about at this point uh, then to talk about some more defensemen who have been struggling specifically one in Dallas which is the team that Chicago lost to 2-1 to in the shootout on Saturday Dallas like you said got back John Klingberg and it looks like Klingberg got some decent power play time maybe he bumped Miro Haskin in or like you said maybe they were running more like two even power plays but like John Klingberg's had such a rough season right he only had four points on the year going into Saturday's game though he picked up an assist right at the start of the game so who knows if maybe this is the start of a bit of a turnaround by the way Rupe Hintz also returned in that game he scored the goal that Klingberg assisted on so nice for Dallas to be getting these two guys back uh so what do you think about John Klingberg at this point kind of similar question to Gustafsson right like this is a guy who's been getting between like 55 and even up upwards of 70 point paces over the last couple of seasons is it possible that you know now he that he's had this like break like hopefully like he used his injury recovery time also to get his headspace right like who knows but sometimes we call it like a little vacation that these players take to to get right again uh, do you think that Klingberg could come back and be that offensive force that he has been for the past few years or do you think maybe the fact that Miro Haskinen did so well in Klingberg's absence just means that Klingberg's gonna have a pretty short leash at getting that top deployment and maybe you know the baton is going to be passed and now Haskinen is the guy who you want to have on Dallas in terms of fantasy defensemen and Klingberg maybe is going to be a lot less relevant like I have, I have a tough time saying that Klingberg is going to be less relevant because I, I think this is going to be a situation where you're almost going to see you're going to see the minutes split between them. Like they're certainly split on the power play. You're going to see uh, Klingberg on one unit and Haskinen on the other. But I think um, they had been playing Haskinen with Klingberg together earlier this year. I don't think that's something that they'd like to do long term. I think they want to keep them on separate pairs. Um, so that they can run, you know, something like San Jose did or does with Carlson and Burns, right? Like oh, making sure that one of them is always on the ice um, at all times. And you can't do that if they're paired together. So I think you're going to see um, those two play pretty similar minutes. Um, and for that reason, I don't really have a preference over one over the other. And like I'm a huge, huge John Klingberg fan. I have been since the minute he stepped in this league. One of my favorite defensemen to watch in the NHL, hands down. I just think Haskinen's that good, and I think they know that Haskinen's that good. Um, and again, kind of like it's not like New Jersey because obviously Dallas hasn't had as much trouble getting to the playoffs, but 
you know, this is a team that's in for a cup run. Like they're not going to maybe they'll, they'll manage minutes of some guys when they can, um, but they're not going to take the risk of missing playoffs. So I know they're on an incredible run right now to kind of counterbalance a really bad start that they had to the season. I just think, like, I don't see much daylight between Haskin and, and Klingberg for fantasy value for the balance of the season. Um, you know, we'll see how things shake out at 5-on-5, five five, but I anticipate that they'll be on, on different pairs for the most part, and you'll just see them mostly splitting ice time, you know, like I said, with Dallas having one of them on the ice at all times. Interesting. Okay, but though I would say that that probably means that Klingberg's fantasy upside is limited if he's yeah. going to be like splitting power play time when he used to be getting like, you know, 70, 80% yeah. of the total time. Yeah, no, I, I, sorry, I meant, I meant to kind of include that, but like when Klingberg was at his best, it's when he's getting 20 to 25 uh, power play points a year, right? Like that's that's what gets him to the 60-point level. Um, splitting power play minutes, like unless you have like what happened in Toronto a couple years ago when one power play unit just went absolutely bananas. I think it was the Marner unit was like way better than the other power play unit. So unless something like that happens, then then I don't think there's enough reason to believe that there will be a ton of difference between the two of them. Right. Okay. And so, yeah, uh, obviously, like Klingberg is in line to improve a little bit on the terrible numbers he was putting up so far. But again, like with the Calgary guys, you're not expecting like a huge bounce back to what he was a couple of years ago. And then, uh, Michael, like, what's been your take on some of these other Dallas players who have struggled throughout the year? Like with Hints returning, he did well. He scored a goal. He's out up to 10 goals and two assists in 17 games, which is a pretty great sophomore season. His return also led to Dallas's line looking a little more normal than they've been over the past few weeks. Like they had Sagan on a line with Ben and Justin Dowling. There's always like that one random guy playing with Sagan and Ben. That's been like a mainstay over the past like five years, I feel like. And then the next line was Hints with Pavelski and Radulov. And then Corey Perry, who's actually been on a hot run. Now he was like bounced to the bottom six and didn't do anything after, you know, having a couple good games. But yeah, do you think that maybe this will help guys like Radulov and Joe Pavelski who've been kind of quiet? Like Radulov had an assist on that Hints goal yesterday that ended a four game pointless streak for him. Pavelski mired in a four game pointless streak himself. What do you think about these two guys in particular do you think they have the ability to bounce back or do you think this season's going to continue to be rough for them I, I mean Dallas's season is pretty crazy when you go back and look at the numbers almost like on a rolling average like they started one seven and one and the team was atrocious through those nine games like sometimes you'll see a team have a tough run where they only win one and seven or one and eight or something like that um and they still and they're still playing pretty well like Dallas wasn't playing well by any stretch of the imagination like they're just getting steamrolled they weren't you know, they were playing slow. They were, weren't playing well in transition. They weren't generating much for shots. Like it was just a really bad team. And then it was like a, a switch was flipped. And then now all of a sudden they're one of the best teams in the NHL. Like literally over the last five weeks, I think they're seventh in shot share uh, in the league and second in expected goal share where they're in the top 10 through the first three weeks of the season in both regards. Like it, and it's not only that it's, they've increased their shot rate. They've increased their goal rate. They've increased their expected goal rate. Like all the offensive numbers are up considerably as well. So I don't know what you can attribute it to. Um, did uh, Montgomery get them to change something um, in their systems? Uh, was it just guys, you know, they had to introduce a couple new guys. They had to, you know, introduce Corey Perry. Rope Hints um, had a bigger role. Did they, Was it a matter of guys getting acclimated to each other, even though, you know, there really wasn't too many significant changes. You know, Perry, Pavelski, um, that's pretty much it. 
Um, so was it them just getting acclimated? I don't know what it was. Whatever it was, Dallas went from like it, it was a St. Louis bluesian uh, turnaround from one of the worst teams in the league to now one of the best. And I actually wrote about uh, Pavelski and uh, Jamie Benn in particular um, at Dauber earlier this week. And it was more to do on the power play. Their power play numbers weren't very good, but there's a there's a lot of reason to believe that they'll improve in the future. Now, I know you asked about Ratchelov, so he would be a guy that I would include into that as well. But Ben and Pavelski in particular are two guys, I think, over the final 60% of the season or 65% of the season or whatever it is, I think you're going to see them uh, turn around uh, offensively, particularly on the power play. And that's why, you know, Scour the waiver wire. Maybe you can go still go by low before they explode. I think um, these are guys that are going to be pretty good over the final four months of the season. Okay, that's exciting. So unlike some of these other players we've discussed, you're seeing some light there at the end of the tunnel for Pavelski and Radulov and Jamie Benya has already started to bounce back. And hey, you called the Stars bluesian. Is this a premonition? Are you going to put it down right now? Is Dallas your pick to win the Stanley Cup in 2020? No, before the season, I said Vegas and Carolinas, or Nashville and Carolina, sorry, so I'll stick with Nashville and Carolina. Okay, Carolina, yeah, looking really good. But what's your take on, if you had to pick a Norris winner right now, would it be Dougie Hamilton or uh, John Carlson? Is it between those two? Yeah, it's it's it'd be tough for me to not pick John Carlson. Like, the guy's on pace for, what, like 130 points? Like, yeah. nobody outside of Bobby Orr does that. So, <laughs> like, like, I'm not a I'm not a, one of those Norris guys that thinks, you know, you have to put up 70 or 80 points. But if a guy's putting up that many points, I don't care uh, what else he does anywhere else on the ice. Like, it would have to be Carlson. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I don't know why I just threw that. Rat- I don't, whenever I hear Hamilton, I guess I just recently read an article or something about how he should be in consideration. Oh, he's... He should be, for sure. Yeah, he's having a great season. Well, finally, he's getting a shot on the top power play. I don't know why Like Carolina had Justin Falk the whole time doing nothing last year. But Hamilton's clearly so, so good. But anyway. Yeah, that's, a, gotta... that's, that's for another day. <laughs> sure, yeah. Okay, so Klingberg wasn't the only defenseman to return on Saturday. Uh, Boston got Tory Krug back into action for the 5-4 OT win over Minnesota. Krug got right back into the scoring for Boston, as he always does. He had a huge game on the top power play, of course. He had two assists, including a power play assist. He also scored the overtime winner. Uh, though it is worth saying, in Krug's absence, Matt Grizzlick did pretty darn well. He put up two goals and two assists in five games. One of those assists coming on that potent top power play for Boston. Uh, do you think now that Krug is back, like Matt Grizzlick for sure is back to being irrelevant and just kind of like something to remember? Like if, you know, you hear that Krug is going to miss time in the future, like keep in the back of your mind, oh, go grab Matt Grizzlick because he does really well in that situation. Or is there something here? Like, is this a player that might actually have offensive potential even with Tory Krug in the lineup? I yes, but I don't think it's enough to be fantasy relevant. Like, Grizzlick is a guy I think is a really good puck-moving defenseman. Like, if I had to compare him across the league, it'd be to guys like Vince Dunn, uh, Sam Gerrard, Will Butcher uh, in New Jersey. Like, these are all guys that are very good puck movers. The problem is, is they're all guys on teams that now have at least one established guy ahead of them, if not two. So that's kind of the problem here is that I think, you know, they're not going to play, they're not playing on the top pairing. They're not getting, you know, 19, 20 or 20 minutes a night at even strength. Um, so you're not going to get those minutes. And until the guys that are ahead of them either get injured or are traded or the contracts just run out, 
Um, they're not going to move ahead of them on the power play either. So it's just like there's a lot of, you know, those guys are all very good puck movers, uh, good offensive defensemen. They just don't get enough time at, at even strength to make up for what they're losing by getting no power play time. So I like Grizzly as a player, and I think he can help Boston. Uh, the problem is that he just won't get the minutes to do it. So that's kind of where I'm at with Matt Grizzly. All right. So you just say thanks for your services if you were smart enough to stream him in and then, you know, keep him in the back of your mind. The what, what happened to Charlie McAvoy? I thought this was supposed to be the guy that Boston was going to, it once Tory Krug moves on, you know, he's a UFA at the end of the year, like, or whenever he gets injured. I thought it was like common sense and everyone just knew it that Charlie McAvoy is the next in line guy. All of a sudden this Matt Grizzlick comes in. He took the top power play and McAvoy just continues to struggle. Like at this point, like he was drafted in all of my leagues and then he, I've been seeing him getting dropped. Here and there, he has like seven assists, no goals in 23 games so far this year. Are we done with Charlie McAvoy as a fantasy option? Or like when, like, let's say if Tory Krug does leave Boston next year, is it all of a sudden like Matt Grizzlick is the guy you want? Or is there a chance that Charlie McAvoy can still, you know, take that mantle that we thought was waiting for him? Okay, so the thing with Charlie McAvoy and I wrote about this at Dauber, like I've written about this extensively, is that... He's an, a considerably better real-world hockey player than he is a fantasy hockey player. And those do exist. You think of Miko Koivu in Minnesota is kind of like that. You think of Chris Tanev uh, with Vancouver, who's kind of like that. And Tanev is the guy that I would actually compare him to. Like, I actually have it in my notes that I think McAvoy is a rich man's Chris Tanev. Like, I think McAvoy is just a wonderful defenseman. Like, a franchise cornerstone you can lock him down, like give just give him a blank check and sign him for as long as you can type of defenseman. That's a guy I want as my number one defenseman on my team. That doesn't necessarily mean he's a good fantasy option. And I wrote about this at Dauber, that he's not shown any proclivity for shooting. And that's a problem. Like you don't need your def- your defenseman on your fantasy teams, they all don't need to put up 200 shots. But 130 or whatever, it, that's not nearly good enough. And... Grizzlick was the guy that took over for Tory Krug when Krug was injured for a couple games last year. It was Grizzlick who took over on the power play. Grizzlick's done it again this year. So I stands to reason that if Krug isn't back in the lineup, it would be Grizzlick again next year. So like I, I never understood drafting Charlie McAvoy this year. And I told as many people as I, that I could uh, to not draft him because he doesn't shoot. He won't get power play minutes. And in that when you combine those two things – there's just not enough that he does elsewhere on the ice to make up for the fantasy value. So it's just one of those situations where I think Charlie McAvoy is an excellent world-class, like all-star defenseman. He's just not a good fantasy defenseman. Bummer. Yeah. Like, I mean, last year he had 28 points in 54 games, which is a 43 point pace, which is rosterable in a lot of leagues, but he's not showing it this year. Maybe he's just focusing more, like you say, on like, you know, the defensive game and shooting even less. Like he has 25 shots in 23 games. So you were talking about like 140 shots. That would be great <laughs> for him at this point. Right now he's not even on pace for a hundred shots. So, oh, well. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just. You know, the 43 points, I think, would be the high watermark for him with the no power play minutes and considering his role. That's all. Yeah, I have him right now. Like, I jumped on him when I saw that Krug was injured, you know, before we even knew how long Krug would be out. And I was like, okay, let me grab McAvoy and see what he's going to do. And I was 
pretty blindsided. I should have paid attention last year, I guess. Remember that it's Matt Grizzlick and not McAvoy. And yeah, that's uh, now I've got him. Boston has a good schedule next week, but I don't know. Do I even hold on to this guy? Or do I just let him go? Cause he's not doing anything for me. Uh, but okay. The team that Boston beat on Saturday has also seen a change lately is Devin Dubnik on Minnesota. He's going to be out next week dealing with a family issue, which means that Alex Stalock will continue to see starts for the wild. Of course, we wish Dubnik the best. We don't know what's going on there. Uh, seems like Dubnik's spot could be ripe for the picking, at least in the short term, right? Like he's sitting at an 893 save percentage in 14 games on the year. While Alex Stalock, he's at a 908, but he's been looking better lately. He had great performances and wins over Buffalo and Colorado before the tough OT loss yesterday uh, versus Boston, where he stopped 34 of 39. But you know, you don't want to count that overtime goal, right? Like those are harder to stop. So it was actually, his, his numbers shouldn't look as bad as they did. But anyway, are you into Alex Stalock as an ad for at least next week? maybe for longer like while Dubnik is out and maybe even when Dubnik is back like I'm sure if you're a Devin Dubnik owner you're probably happy to be able to stash him in your IR and ma- assuming you could get someone else maybe even you get a grab a Louis Domingue like, it's not as if Dubnik has been helping you so maybe it's not so bad to get him off your roster for a little bit but yeah I'm curious to get your take on the Minnesota goalie situation is there anything there with Stalock or is he basically at the same level between him and like a Louis Domingue I think Stalock stands a little bit of a better chance like I play daily fantasy DFS quite a bit. And one of the things that is pretty well known amongst people that play DFS is that you always roster the Minnesota goalie because Minnesota is one of those teams that gives up a fair number of shots, but they're all low quality shots. Like if you look at, at Minnesota's shot map against them, like it's, it looks like Philadelphia's power play. Like there's nothing giving, get going on in the middle of the ice. They're all, it's all shots from the perimeter. So that's why I never mind. Um, rostering a Minnesota goalie. And this week, it's not a terrible schedule. Uh, Rangers in Jersey on the road, then at home versus, I believe it's Ottawa and Dallas. So, you know, the Rangers can score, Ottawa can score, Dallas can score, New Jersey's not good. But you're missing all the big teams. Like, you're missing uh, teams like Vegas, and you're missing teams like Nashville and Boston and Tampa Bay and all that. And so where, you, where it's a four-start week, and you're facing two, you know, two of the worst teams in the NHL with the Rangers and Sens, and well, three teams, I guess, with New Jersey. Like, I have no problem rostering Staylock for this week. But if you look at at the schedule the week after, uh, three game road trip at Florida, at Tampa Bay, at Carolina. So that's probably a complete no go for me. So I have no problem rostering Staylock this week, especially for the team that he plays for. They do a good job of limiting the quality against. Uh, but it'd be a one week thing. I just can't imagine rostering him for three road games against those Southeast teams. Okay, that's fair. And also Staylock, not Stalock. So I apologize. He hasn't been fantasy relevant long enough for me to uh, learn how to pronounce <laughs> his name, apparently. Yet, And as far as Devin Dubnik goes, I guess you're saying that if, but I think we said this going into the year, like a reason to draft Devin Dubnik is even when he struggles, Minnesota does such a good job of protecting him that he only has to play average to put up decent numbers. So far, it hasn't been the case. He still has No, hasn't it hasn't. To. Is he going to go the road of Corey Schneider at this point? Like, what's going on with Devin Dubnik? Uh, I I don't know. Like, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk it up to just small sample stuff for now. Right. I, like, I haven't, I haven't looked, and it's, I don't. I, I shouldn't say this. I just don't care about goalies that much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like you try to put yourself in the best possible situations you can, give yourself as many starts as you can against the worst teams, and then just kind of hope for the best, right? Like goalies, man, they're just voodoo. 
I know, that's fair. Okay, so I'm going to throw another goalie at you, and then let's end it. And you could even just answer saying, who knows? But I got to bring up John Gibson, who is just doing terribly right now. He started the season stronger than ever, but he's been brutal lately. He's only had one game with a higher than 900 save percentage in his last six starts. Otherwise, he's been blowing you up game in, game out. Ryan Miller didn't fare much better for the Ducks uh, on Saturday in the 6-2 loss to the Lightning. The Ducks are now in the midst of a nine-game stretch where they've only won one time are we back in like last year's dismal duck territory again? Like, do you see Gibson as someone who will continue to be a liability in the net moving forward? Just on like a terrible team, or could this potentially be like a buy low opportunity? This is a goalie who not long ago people considered as a Vesna candidate, and it looked like Anaheim had sort of turned things around at the start of the year, but yeah, not looking great right now. Yeah, they are in a little bit of a tough stretch. Like, I don't think Anna, like Anaheim's a better team than they are last year, but that's such a low bar that they basically just had to walk over it. So, um, I do think that they're they're an improved team, but Gibson, they're not they're not to the point where they can win games for him, right? Like, there are nights where he's not going to be on. And that team's just not good enough to go out and win games for him. So there are going to be times when it's frustrating to own them. But this is a lot – they're a much better team than they were last year, especially until up until Carlisle got fired. Um, he's one of the two or three best goalies in the NHL. Like you said, he should have been a clear Vesna con, uh, contender last year. So Gibson is 100% a goalie that I would buy low on. It, yeah, for as much as I believe in buying low on goalies, Gibson would be one of the goalies I would buy low on. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, he's good, you would think, and hopefully it's just a bad stretch. And we always talk about how Anaheim has that really good schedule where you could get him in a lot more games because Anaheim often plays on the off day. So that's another reason to go for Gibson. Hopefully the price is really cheap right now. But also, no guarantees because, like you said, goalies, who knows? Uh, on Anaheim, by the way, nice to see Getzlaff and Raquel reunited. They've been playing together recently at even strength and on the power play. Even in the midst of this long losing streak, both Getzlaff and Raquel, at least, are on nice rolls. Getzlaff has points in four straight games. Raquel has eight points in his last eight both are like near 60 point paces right now but like trending up i could see both of them getting back to like a 70 point mark like the, the kind of numbers that we were expecting from them going into last season before everything fell apart i'm really liking what i'm seeing from getzlaff and raquel a nice bounce back here especially for getzlaff who looked really down and out at the end of last year yeah i and it kind of sucks like adam henrique's being sacrificed so that ryan getzlaff can get back on track right because like i know silverberg is having having a good season but that line um the three of them have been playing well together now obviously they're split up like i have the same hope as you that raquel and getzlaff will really find that magic from a couple years ago but i think what it's gonna we're, we're gonna have to wait for is for andre kasha to get back on that top line because i don't think getzlaff is the same guy that he was even a couple years ago um, his zone entry and zone exit rates have been declining, which means he's not carrying the puck as much as he used to, which means he's other people are having to do it for him. Um, the shot assists, which, you know, it's a micro stat that's tracked. It's just passes that lead to shots. Um, his shot assists have been declining for a couple of years now. So, you know, we're seeing Ryan Getzlaff in clear decline, but he's still good enough um, that he doesn't have to carry a line, but he can certainly um, help float it um, with good players. So I'm with you. It's nice to see Raquel back there, but I think we're going to have to wait until Andre Kosh is back on the top line to see them really take off. And hopefully that's just hopefully that's not going to be in too long. 
Yeah, Kasha's been kind of a disappointment, right? Like, we were really expecting big things from him this year. Hasn't done much. I think he had a good game last week, but yeah, still in free agency in a lot of my leagues, and I'm not too interested now. He's definitely on all of my watch lists where he's available, but I'm waiting for him, like you say, to get on a decent line, and then you can start expecting him to get some points with either, like, a Getzlaff or a Raquel, you would think. Uh, so we talked about a couple of defensemen outjuries in Krug and Klingberg, so we might as well talk about one injury, but we don't really have to too much. So Justin Schultz is hurt in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh always gets so many injuries so schultz joins crosby and bjugstad and chris letang on the shelf though maybe not chris letang looks like i've been reading that he's now a game time decision for tomorrow for the penguins so letang will be back either in the next game or hopefully in the next couple of games at the latest which i'm very happy about even just so i don't have to bug you and ask you about like should people be grabbing brian dumoulin or john marino or whoever might quarterback the top power play looks like we're just going to get chris letang back to play with the current top unit which has been like Gansel, Malkin, uh, the newly outjured uh, Patrick Hornquist, he's back. And then Brian Rust has also been on the top power play, as well as the top line with Malkin and Gensel, and just crushing it. Like, what do you think about this run by Brian Rust right now? He's been taking full advantage of the great deployment. He's currently on a four-game point streak, up to 13 points in 12 games on the season. So he started late because he was injured, but he's getting points pretty much every game. At this point, would you consider Brian Rust the top healthy penguins forward to own after Malkin and Gensel like at this point I feel like I'd rather have Rust over your Patrick Hornquist over your Alex Galchenyuk who can't even get on the top power play on this depleted penguins team and like honestly I can't think of any justification for Brian Rust only being owned in 32% of Yahoo leagues at this point like this guy's getting great deployment he's producing what more do people want yeah the deployment is a big part of it like as long as he's staying on that top power play unit then he'll still have value but I think people have to realize that it's kind of a it's a little bit of a shooting percentage bender, right? Like he's shooting over 21% himself this year. Uh, the team is shooting almost 14% with him on the ice, which is really high. Like if they could sustain up 11%, it would be high. So 14 is really, really high. So, and, you know, despite that, like you said, he's at about a point per game pace. So a point per game and he's, he just has exorbitant shooting percentages, whether himself or his teammates when he's on the ice. So, it's kind of easy to see that there's going to be some regression going on here. And then obviously once everybody gets healthy, um, what his role is going to be like, he's not going to be on the top power play unit. He might stick with Malkin just because rust is, I wouldn't want to say he's great defensively, but he's reliable defensively at least. And that's probably something that that line's going to need regardless of who the left winger is. Um, so, even though I think it's a percentage bender right right now, like if you could trade him for a top 75 or top 100 player or something like that, then do it. Um, if, oh, yeah. if, if not, I would just kind of ride it out until everybody's healthy uh, and then just kind of drop him. Like I would just enjoy it and then just drop him once everybody's back. Like just enjoy, enjoy the shooting percentages. <laughs> uh, don't, you know, don't make any trades because you're probably not going to get the value that you should, that you should get. So, um, I'd say just hang on and enjoy for now. Yeah, I was speaking more to the fact that he's unowned still in a lot of leagues. I just want to implore the listeners to add him now. Because even if you say he's on a shooting percentage bender, so fine, his shooting percentage goes down a bit and he goes from being point per game to still like probably a 60 point pace while you're playing with Malkin. I'm not saying for the whole rest of the season, but if you're on the top line and top power play. And by the way, Malkin is like a superhero. When Crosby's injured, Malkin seems to just be even better. So you even more so want the players playing with him. So yeah, definitely take a look at Brian Russ, but I do agree with you. Definitely not a long term hold and also no point 
point trading him now because he might just be better than what you get for him in the short term. And you're not going to get enough for him to be worth, uh, you know, letting go of him right now. I'm with you. Okay, so I guess we're starting to run out of time. Uh, your your precious time. I know you have to write some DFS articles still before you go to bed. So uh, I'm going to try to squeeze the most out of you in this last 15 minutes. I was thinking maybe we can play a game of sustainable or fleeting. This is a game that Brian and I play, even though we've pretty much been doing this all episode. It's pretty much the whole podcast. But at least now it'll be under uh, one specific context where I'm going to tell you a bunch of players who are just super overperforming, I guess, like a Brian Rust. And then you could say whether you think they could continue to perform if, you know, maybe not at that, this pace, but at least at a reasonable pace that's worth holding. Or if you think it's going to go away soon. I want to start with a couple guys in Ottawa. Anthony Duclair, his one goal, one assist game versus the Rangers on Friday brought him to four goals and two assists in his last four games. He's up to a 52 point pace on the season now. And that has been rising fast ever since he got on that line with Brady Kachuk. And he's been there now for a while. The center changes every now and then, but Duclair and Kachuk seem to be doing well together also on the power play. And before you answer for Duclair, let's make it a sense two for one. Maybe you could also give your opinion on JG Pajot, who has two goals and two assists in his last three, 13 goals and five assists in 23 games on the season. That's a 67 point pace. Is there any chance that these sends are going to be able to keep producing for the rest of the season and be sustainable and be worth owning in people's fantasy leagues the rest of the way? And also, like, either way, I'd be curious just to know who you'd rather have between the two for next week between Duclair and Peugeot. Uh, Pajot, I don't think, can sustain it. Like, he's playing down the lineup more in defensive roles. They want him to take take some of the defensive responsibility. And when that happens, that means he's probably not going to be playing with Brady Kachuk and Anthony Duclair. And then outside of those two guys, there just really isn't a lot of scoring on the team. So <laughs> there's a reason why um, he only has five assists on the year. Uh, and his goal scoring is largely the part of a shooting percentage bender. So, no, I don't think Pajot can sustain. Like, he's a fine player. Um, they should definitely keep him around. I just don't think he's much longer for fantasy relevance. Anthony Duclair, on the other hand, his two problems have always been shot volume and ice time. He's been able to score whenever he's been able to shoot uh, and whenever he's been able to get on the ice. But the problem is that he doesn't shoot a lot. and He's never been able to get a lot of ice time. Those two things have been corrected, at least of late in Ottawa. You're talking about he's playing on the top line with Brady Kachuk. Um, he's getting the power play minutes. This is the third straight year, I believe, of a shot volume increase. It's a career high for him now. Uh, as long as he keeps getting the minutes and he stays alongside Brady Kachuk, uh, I don't see any reason why Duclair can't maintain at least a 50-point pace. Nice. Yeah, so I grabbed him, actually, just because Ottawa had a really great schedule over the past couple of weeks. I grabbed him in a couple of leagues. And yeah, at this point, he seems like a hold. I actually had a decision to make. I wanted to grab a goalie. So don't don't mock me for that. But I grabbed Alex Stalock because I had Devin Dubnik. I put him in IR. But then whatever, I had reasons why I had to drop someone. I was deciding between dropping Duclair and Kevin LeBanc. I let LeBanc go. So I don't know if maybe later on I'll regret it, but it's hard to just not take the guy that's doing well and also is on, you know, the top line in power play. Like, it just seems like almost too easy. I didn't want to overthink it there. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I would have done the exact same thing. LeBanc is, yeah, LeBanc is just kind of a one-dimensional type guy. So I agree with you. Okay, that's cool. Uh, okay, so next, let's go to, you know, I did two players on a team. That was fun. How about a whole line? And this is the New York Islanders second line who we've brought up a few times on the show. And I feel like Brian said it was fleeting. And I don't want to throw him on the, under the bus because a lot of people would have said that. But at this point, like, I got to just ask again, what is going on with this line of Brock Nelson, Derek Broussard, and Anthony Beauvillier? All of them are on like huge hot streaks. They're all on paces of 60 plus for the season. Do you think any of them could do it and land above 60 points on the year uh i'll take the under on all of them oh wow <laughs> and, yeah, 
I just I'm I'm completely out on the Islanders offensively. Uh, they like it's pretty obvious what they're they're just trying to grind down games two one games the best that they can. So I think Beauvilliers having a very nice season. Like I don't mind rostering one of the guys like here and there. Uh, I just don't think that they play a system conducive uh, to fantasy goodness. Like they're gonna have their spurts. Like the second line um, has had their spurt here over the last few games. Uh, I just don't think that there's there's enough here for any sustainable hot streak that justifies rostering them more than a week at a time or something. Okay, fair. So yeah, maybe you could keep riding this hot streak until it slows down. They didn't get points yesterday, though they only scored one goal against San Jose. So that's going to happen. But yeah, we'll see if the Islanders second line can do some more damage next week. Or maybe if this is the beginning of the end of that amazing run. By the way, check it out. I got a brand new Islanders hat. Just bought it today. I was trying to pick it. I have a Sharks hat, but I was really getting tired of cheering for the Sharks. Like, yeah, they have Eric Carlson, who's my favorite player. But it was really frustrating just cheering for this team and the bad goaltending they get. I've got Thomas Grice in three of my leagues. So I thought I'd make a change. And you know, rep the team where I'm getting the good goaltending and not not so frustrating anyway so I wouldn't mind is it really bad if I have Thomas Grice in a few leagues and then like secretly I get excited every time I like imagine what if Semyon Varlamov were to maybe get injured tweak something like, nothing too serious but uh does that make me a bad person do you ever have these types of thoughts yeah I do and I always feel bad that I have these types of thoughts too because like perfect example I own Sam Gerrard in a ton of like dynasty one dynasty and one keeper league and so, obviously, I'm rooting for something to happen to Kale McCarr. Oh, people are going to be so mad at you. <laughs> I know. And the thing is, is I love watching McCarr play. He's just such a good defenseman. He's so much fun to watch. It's just frustrating the hell out of me for fantasy. <laughs> yeah, but even, like, I don't know. I just wonder what Sam Girard's upside. I guess if you're on that top power play, you have to do something. Though He was getting shots there at points this year and still wasn't really producing. I wonder if this might be a McAvoy situation where, like, some random other person would end up getting the opportunity if Makar was injured we're having patty in the chat in all capital letters is yelling at me to ask him about eberly so okay for patty uh jordan eberly has come back recently he now has five points in 11 games he did okay when he first returned from injury but now he's gone quiet for his last couple but he is on the top line and uh he's getting yeah uh, over 50 percent power play time we're actually no in the last game he didn't so are you into Eberly? Like he used to be someone who was really good on the Oilers and then he got traded for Ryan Strom and like people were joking around about how like, oh man, what a rip off trade. Of course you want Eberly more than Strom. Now in fantasy, like you'd be lucky. You'd have to give Eberly plus like a decent piece to get Ryan Strom. But anyway, yeah, what are your thoughts on Eberly at this point? Uh, I, I'm in a 15 team league where I just recently dropped Eberly to pick up Josh Anderson. That's where I'm at with Eberly. Even though Eberly's on the top line, um, it's just he doesn't bring enough in peripherals. And like I was talking about, this team just plays a style that is focuses completely on defense. So if if Everly can play to a fifty or fifty-five point pace, I think that'd be a successful season for him. And he doesn't have he doesn't bring enough in peripherals to justify just playing to a fifty-five point pace and staying on a fantasy roster. Yeah, I hear you. His best season, by the way, 76 points in 78 games in 2011-12, his second year in the league. So he started super strong. And then, yeah, it's uh, been a bit downhill from there for Jordan Everly. Okay, so I want to go now. You're talking about Sam Girard. Let's talk about one of his teammates, Andre Burakovsky, who's loving life right now on the top line and top power plant in Colorado. He has got six goals and three assists in his last five games. Nine points in his last five games, up to 21 points in 23 games on the season. So almost point per game through, like, what is this now? Uh, a fourth of the season? Obviously, uh, Burakovsky, we're not going to expect him to be like an 80 plus point guy the rest of the way, but 
is this somewhat sustainable until the other top liners on Colorado come back? Or do you think that he's going to start slowing down big time in the near future? I mean, I think a, a bit of a slowdown is inevitable, but Burakovsky is a guy, like, it's easy to forget that three or four years ago in Washington, like, he was supposed to be the future on the top line. Like, it, the future was supposed to be Ovechkin, Backstrom, Burakovsky. It, it just never worked out that way. So I do think Burakovsky, like, he showed well. He has shown well before in lower sample, in smaller samples um, on lower lines. So, I, like, I have no problem, uh, like, just hang on to Burakovsky until both Landis Cog and Ranton are back. Uh, like, just, he, I, I think he's, I think he's good enough. Not only is he good enough, but I think Nathan McKinnon is just playing out of his mind right now. McKinnon's good enough to drag anybody to 60 points. And I think Burakovsky's good enough to bring that up to 70 to 80 point pace. Wow. Okay. So who would you rather have for the next, let's say, two weeks, Brian Rust or Andre Burakovsky? Burakovsky, and it's not even close oh. not for me. All right, so there you go. So then definitely sustainable to some extent for Burakovsky, if you'd like him more than the guy playing with Malkin, for sure. But I guess there's playing with Malkin, there's playing with McKinnon, uh, two great players, but you had diff- different trajectories on their career at this point. I don't even know what I'm saying. Why, why am I saying that? Malkin's still great. <laughs> I love Malkin. Okay, I don't mean to say that he's on a downward trajectory. He's doing as good as ever. Okay, uh, another player who's doing well, or at least was on a really good run, uh, is Tanner Pearson. He had two goals and three assists in three games. He's cooled off with only one goal in his last three, but you put it together, and it's still point per game over his last six games. And he's especially interesting now because he's been playing on the top line with Besser and Pedersen. Do you think that Tanner Pearson's deployment is sustainable or fleeting? Like, I almost feel like the points, who cares? Like, obviously, he's not going to be a point per game guy himself over the next stretch but if he's gonna stay on the top line then he's interesting to me while he's there so is tanner pearson's deployment sustainable or fleeting i think it's fleeting the problem is is coaches have their favorites they have their binkies they have the things that they always go back to (laughs) no matter what and vancouver will be going back to besser pedersen jt miller at some point that line worked way too well through the first 20 games of the season for that team to just forget that they were ever a line combination so I enjoy seeing Pearson um, on the top line. I want to see him have success. I just, I can't imagine it's going to be a long-term thing. Once Vancouver gets scuffling, they're going to go back to what they what they used to have. Yeah, so maybe a good DFS play if he's still reasonably exactly. cheap. And, yeah, stream exactly. him for a game or two, but don't expect it to last. So here's a, speaking of players who I wouldn't expect it to last, Who? what's going on with Joel Edmondson in Carolina? He's currently riding a six-game point streak. I feel like I saw him getting points on the score sheet, but didn't like connect it in my head that it's been the same guy getting points game in, game out, because it's one of those guys who you see like, okay, well, this is not a fantasy-relevant player. But like, is this something that is potentially for real? Like, Edmondson's career high is 17 points, and now he has a six-game point streak. I got to imagine this is fleeting, but I just wanted to throw it out there. And, and confirm. Yeah, it is fleeting. I was looking at his individual points percentage over the last two weeks. That's the rate at which a player garners a point when a goal is scored on the ice. Um, Edmondson's career high is 38%, which means he figures into 38% of the goals scored with him on the ice. Over the last two weeks, it's over double that at 78%. So this is a complete mirage. Yeah, not going to last for sure. Okay, and then finally, let's do a goalie. You said you didn't want to talk about goalies. You don't even have to respond, but I will just throw it out there. Jonathan Quick, uh, he took the 3-2 loss to the Coyotes yesterday, and he only stopped 16 of 18. Those are always tough games for goalies, I find, when they like get fewer than 20 shots against. It's really hard to put up good numbers unless you stop all of them, or maybe you only let in one. But anyways, before that, Quick had went five straight games with a save percentage over 900, won four of those games. 
it seems to me like Jonathan Quick may be back to being at least a reasonable goalie to own in fantasy. It seems like he staved off Jack Campbell. There was a stretch where we thought maybe Campbell would even take over as the starter. Right now, that's not happening. Quick's getting all of the games, and he's doing okay. So do you think, again, like, I don't know what there is to say, but as far as we know about goalies, Jonathan Quick was in free agency for me in a lot of my leagues recently. He's been taken in, I think, all of them but one right now. I'm just curious to know if you think Quick may be back to being at best, like an average goalie, which would still be pretty good, especially as a starting goalie in the league. Yeah, like, I don't think we're going to see the Jonathan Quick that we saw uh, five years ago, mainly because the LA Kings aren't the team of five years ago. But Los Angeles um, is better defensively than they were last year. They're not giving up a ton uh, in the middle of the ice. You know, Jack Campbell hadn't, like, I, I couldn't understand why people were so high on him he hadn't really proven anything at the nhl it was basically john quick had one bad year and then everybody gave up on him so here let me put it this way if i had the choice between jonathan quick or any goalie from new jersey i'd take quick let's put it that way okay yeah i think that's reasonable and i think even a couple weeks ago people would have probably wanted blackwood ahead of quick but at this point i'm with you especially because there's so much uncertainty in new jersey quick for now seems to be the guy getting the majority of starts and he's doing okay so yeah why not and okay so then we've got some injuries that have that have happened like just super recently luckily we've recently added some new shows to our feed ben and lewis have been doing the short shifts and have been crushing it which makes me very happy because now i don't have to try to cover like the victor arvidsson injury and trying to you know speculate on who's going to be on the you know take his place on his even strength line and on the power play like let's wait a couple games short shift episode will come out and they'll just say what actually happened so that's nice and especially since we're running out of time with you michael so uh, i'll i will just point out some names of players who are currently injured uh josh morrissey though i, th- though I saw that he might be okay uh arvidson of course and bertuzzo only got a four game suspension do you, do you have a, a rant about that i know brian would definitely have a rant about that about being mad that it wasn't a longer suspension yeah, I mean, I'm furious about it. I'll probably rant about it over at, at Dauber Hockey. I think it's just absolutely embarrassing what the NHL did. So I'll yeah. just I'll leave it I'll leave it for my ramblings Tuesday morning at Dauber Hockey. Okay, so make sure to check that out, everybody. Uh, Anthony Mantha's hurt, uh, and they've called up Philip Zadina, so you can watch out for that. Actually, Detroit's playing tonight. Let me just go quickly to the line combinations on Frozen Tools. You could get the in-game live line combinations, which I really like. Looks like they were rolling today. Larkin, Fabry, and Bertuzzi. So Fabry's the one getting on the top line. Athanasiu, Nielsen, Glendening. What? And then Zadina yeah, he, with Athanasiu got booted to the third line. I laughed when I saw that. I thought this was going to be an opportunity for Athanasiu to get onto the top line, potentially. I didn't think that he would like get bumped away from... No, it's an opportunity for him to develop chemistry with Luke Glendening. Oh, my God. Okay, so that's what's <laughs> going on there. We'll see how... The, are you into Philip Zadina at all? You know, at least in the short term? No, because look at... How, like, nobody below the top line can do anything. So, no. Like, Zadina might be great, but there's absolutely... Like, nobody below the top line can do anything. So, pass. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. By the way, Athanasiu is getting top power play. I'm seeing it looks like Detroit had one power play today. Athanasiu, Bertuzzi, Fabry, uh, Larkin, and Chalowski. Also, this Chalowski thing kind of bugs me. But I don't know, because I have Heronic in a couple of leagues. So I feel like, come on, let's, let's put the better defenseman. But I understand it's about like left shooter versus right shooter, all that stuff. Anyway, uh, Alex Edler's injured. Stamkos, Hurdle. We don't know uh, when these guys are going to come back. So maybe we'll get some updates during the week. And Ben and Lewis will keep you up to date there. So with that, oh, Nicholas Backstrom is day to day. And Lars Eller has stepped in on the second line with Verana and Oshi. And also Lars Eller's gotten top power play time. So who knows how long it'll last. 
But I do want to throw his name out there as someone that people maybe want to look at in free agency as he's going to get this nice bump in deployment. Uh, and yeah, I guess, you know what, Michael, that's pretty much it. This has been so fun. Like, you just come in here. Uh, I, some of these players I threw at you, like, Everly, I didn't even tell you that I was going to ask you about it. And you just, like, answered everything like a pro. It's like, we've been doing this for years together. This is our first ever show. I know. It's like, it's, I really enjoyed myself. Like, I really did. And I just wanted to make that clear. Like, I really appreciate you guys thinking of me having, like, coming in to co-host, you know, pretty big shoes to fill for Brian. And Brian, by the way, happy birthday to your daughter. Happy first birthday. And, you know, I just want to say thanks a lot for having me because it was a lot of fun doing it. And it was fun just going back and forth and just talking hockey for a little while. Yeah, I, I had a great time also. I think you did amazingly well. And I, I'd love to have you back on the show at some point, you know, next time we get the opportunity. Uh, in the meantime, if people want to follow you, I know you're at Slim Cliffy on Twitter, a must follow for your take, your hockey takes. You know, you got to be reading your ramblings over at Dauber Hockey. And then anything else you want to promote to the listeners before I let you go? Yeah, if, if anybody's interested in daily fantasy hockey DFS, like on DraftKings or FanDuel, um, I write over at Osmo, uh, DFS, uh, Osmo.com. We have Sometimes we have free articles and free shows, so if you don't want to pay, if you want to see what you're getting into first, um, you know, sometimes we have free projections you know, for a day or whatever, um, so you can go check that out. I also have a podcast I do for DFS. Usually it comes out uh, Friday nights, Saturday mornings for the Saturday night slate. Um, it's called Tic Tac Tout. You can find it. Uh, on SoundCloud and iTunes, we do. It's myself and Adam Daly, who's also a, a writer at Dauber Hockey. Um, we talk about DFS every Friday night. Uh, so that's basically it. Just those three spots. Thanks so much again to Michael Clifford. Like, what a gem on the show. Short notice, he comes in, does a great job. Uh, yeah, I'll just say a couple more things to finish things off. First of all, it looks like I missed an injury. Ryan Nugent Hopkins ended up not playing today on Sunday. He has a hand injury. He's going to miss at least two games. So that's not great for the Oilers. I guess like the interesting thing would be to see who gets on the top power play. So let me check that actually in real time. And it looks like Shat, Shiasan, Dreisaitl, McDavid, Neil, Clefbaum, right? So Shiasan, I guess, is the guy who gets the bump up there. Zach Cassian's been so good, by the way. He had another couple assists yesterday in your bangers leagues. What a great player. But okay. Uh, I had a few more things I wanted to say before I closed out. So that was the injury talk. Uh, there's also a, a couple interesting line combinations I wanted to throw out there still. Derek Stepan is back on the top line and top power play with Kessel and Keller. Or actually, Arizona's another team that's playing today. So let me make sure this is still up to speed. But yeah, actually, it's a good thing I checked because it looks like today in Arizona's game, Stepan has already been bumped and it was Keller with Kessel and Nick Schmaltz. So I don't know. Stepan was someone who going into the year I was interested in playing with Phil Kessel. But all, honestly, like even playing with Phil Kessel isn't all it's been cracked up to be at this point. Like Kessel, four points in five games uh, recently, uh, not including today, but he's had that slow start. He's still currently around a 50-point pace, so maybe it's time for me to give up on just going for players that are playing with Phil Kessel. Uh, I wanted to bring up Columbus. Like, the lines are all over the place. Like, they've just been bananas. Like, they split up Dubois and Atkinson, and like, you have players who I hadn't even heard of getting good deployment. Like, uh, Eric Robinson is playing with Anderson and Wenberg, and they had, like, a lot of minutes in the last game. Then Nyquist with Jenner and Bjorkstrand, Atkinson with Felino and Alexander Texier, and then Dubois with Emil Brenstrom and Sonny Milano. So, I 
don't know if you want to like stream in a Columbus guy. I don't even know who I would recommend, but I will say that a lot of these players are finally on some good hot streaks. So maybe uh, we, they know what they're doing over in Columbus. Like Dubois, six points in his last four games. He had gone through a one assist in five game stretch, but he seems to have gotten going again. Uh, then Cam Atkinson, who used to be the guy who plays with Dubois, but now it seems like they've been split both at even strengthened on the power play recently. But uh, Atkinson having a disappointing season overall, but seven points in his last seven games. That's great for him. Zach Wawrenski, eight points in his last six. So he's been great. Seth Jones, six points in his last seven. So yeah, just uh, when I was starting to think that Columbus players, may, it might just be the type of team where you don't really want to depend on anybody. All of a sudden... Uh, yeah, they're doing well. I was going to ask someone who's with me if this is sustainable or fleeting. My guess would be somewhat fleeting, but fun to see in the short term. Also on Buffalo, the lines have been changing like crazy. Jimmy VC was slated to play on the top line today and bump Olafson down, but it looks like mid-game Olafson got back on the top line to play with Eichel and Reinhardt. So I guess like this is just going to continue all season long with Olafson going up and down and Olafson now has points in three straight games. One of my worst drops in the cacuffle so far this I dropped him a couple weeks ago I definitely should have held on because he's been fire and I feel like the lesson here is even if he gets bumped it probably won't last you need to like see him bump from the top line for like three four games in a row before you give up on him Uh, and then I want to end the show with a couple of iTunes reviews, we made an offer out to our listeners saying if anyone would be up for leaving us a five-star iTunes review, if you want to include a question in your review, we'll be happy to answer it on the show. So it's just me. So I'll do the best I can here. But yeah, thanks you to everyone who takes the time to go and give us a review on, sorry, not iTunes, Apple Podcasts. It does help us. I think the two main things that help us to get listeners in terms of just like things you could do like for free and just to be nice. First of all, you have to subscribe to us. That helps a lot either on you know apple Podcasts or spotify or whatever having a subscription apparently counts in helping us you know show up higher in the rankings on these various services and then yeah if you could leave us a good review that's always very much appreciated so here's a review we got from barfamus uh he said uh, five stars all day thanks for everything guys thank you barfamus and he asked looking to pick up bovillier who to drop henrique van reemsdyke simmons and or nemesnikov and it's a category league with plus minus and hits uh, so yeah, like obviously Bovillier, uh, Michael said that he doesn't expect him to keep it up, you know, long term, but still definitely I like him better than I think all of these guys, including James Van Riemsdyk at this point. But I think the drop here is probably Nemesnikov. He's recently back from injury, but you know, he's not a very exciting name. Wayne Simmons has been bumped from the top power play, like I said, because Nikita Gusev is there, but your league does count hits. So you might as well hold on to Simmons and just drop Nemesnikov. That, that's my answer anyway. So people can let me know if they disagree. Uh, then we have one, uh, review, just a nice one from Cool Story Bro 2000. Thank you so much. Uh, but let me see other question ones that we got. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, this was more of a question just about the show in general. So Jojo with some mojo, uh, said these guys know their stuff. They presented in a very understandable format. Thank you so much. It'd be nice if they had a keeper portion or something for guys in Dynasty Leagues. Question. Would you ever consider adding a short highlight section for Dynasty Leagues? For example, I drafted Quinn Hughes two years ago onto my minor team and then brought him up to my active roster recently. So obviously great for you to have drafted Quinn Hughes when you did. And yeah, every once in a while we try to get Cam Robinson or Peter Harling or one of these 
these prospects as experts onto the show to do it every week uh, we could try i still don't understand how these people are able to follow not only the nhl but also all of these other leagues to know about all the prospects like around the world it just blows my mind and peter harling's really funny he's over at dauber prospects i think he follows the prospects more than the nhl like he basically follows these players careers up until they hit the big league and then they he kind of like not stop pay atten- paying attention to them but definitely like loses a lot of interest so i think it's funny i guess different people are interested in different things but yeah i've been trying to get cam robinson for a while he's a busy guy lately but we're definitely going to get a show with cam robinson sooner than later uh one other question here and this is going to be a prospects question so i'll do my best uh, so from David Whitehorse. Hey guys, love the show. Gave you a much deserved five star rating. Looking for some help in my points only keeper league of the following nine players. Which four would you rank the lowest? And it's Kravtsov, Borgstrom, Kaprizov, Kokaniemi, Dunn, Robert Thomas, Glass, Steele, and Middlestad. So I, I'll be honest, some of these players, especially the ones that haven't been in the NHL yet, are the ones I don't know so much about. But I know a lot of people were excited about Kravtsov. They thought that maybe he'd even have a chance to make the Rangers team and even be in the top six. It didn't happen this year. But I think I would make uh, patrons and friends of the show and one short shift host, Ben, and then Jade, uh, unhappy if I said something bad about a Ranger. So I'll let Kravtsov miss the cut here. Uh, I think Casey Middlestat is someone at this point I'm not too interested in. I know that Evan Rodriguez is injured on Buffalo. So right now, Middlestat might get a bump in deployment. But still, at this point, pretty disappointing. And I don't know, but he doesn't excite me too much. Kotkaniemi, definitely you want to hold on to. Sam Steele, I think you want to hold on to. Glass, you want to hold on to. Okay, so now I'm starting to run out of people to say you should drop. Okay, I'm going to say drop Borgstrom. He's been disappointing. And things on Florida, just it doesn't seem like there's a lot of space for him to move up the depth charts. Now, who have I dropped here? Borgstrom. I've dropped Middlestat. Uh, so then maybe give me also Vince Dunn, who like, come on, he's Vince Dunn. Like we... He sometimes gets a good spot in the lineup, but, uh, and again, what do I know? And the Capper's up, I don't know anything about, so I probably shouldn't say him because I know his name is brought up a lot. Uh, so I hope that helped, David. Uh, tweeted us at Kevin Carlson, and I'll make sure to get you a really good answer from a prospect expert. This is not my wheelhouse exactly, but okay. Thank you so much again to everyone who gives us a five-star review, specifically you people who I referenced on the show here. We really appreciate it. Thanks again to Michael Clifford at Slim Cliffy for joining us on the show. But I think at this point, I am ready to cue that outro music and then i don't have any credits to read that's normally brian's job but i will just credit some of the great shows that have come out in the keeping carlson family recently you definitely need to check out dave betton's stream scheme if you haven't heard it yet it comes out every sunday so an episode already dropped after you're done listening to this if you didn't listen to yesterday's stream scheme you definitely want to check it out dave recommends players who you want to look at adding for the next week in fantasy based on who has a good schedule if you're in a weekly league or like a league where you know there's weekly matchups is what i mean to say you definitely want to listen to the show and hear who are the players that dave is recommending that you take a look at then of course the short shifts episodes which i really hope you've been liking on our network i think that ben and lewis have been doing a great job and uh, we'd love to hear your feedback on that or anything you might want to change in the format or yeah we're definitely open for suggestions in this transition time so uh, at keeping carlson you can tweet us there uh, if you're a patron of keeping carlson you've been hearing marcus's amazing stat attack podcast where he interviews someone in the keeping carlson also patron fantasy league and then also breaks down some interesting stats there's going to be a new episode of that coming on monday and yeah if you want to get that and also all the other awesome patron perks keepingcarlson.com slash patron 
gets you into the Facebook group, gets you our monthly patron cast, gets you a bonus Saturday podcast. There's a bunch of stuff. You can read all about it at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We'd very much appreciate your support. But yeah, I guess the outro music is already playing, so I will just say for myself, goodbye, everyone. And if Ryan were here, he would definitely say, keep on keeping Carl Rolson. <laughs>